Welcome to the Grace Point Church Podcast. Here at GPC, we want you to know God, love people, and live sent. From wherever you're listening, we hope you're encouraged by this week's message. If you want to learn more about Grace Point, head over to gracepointchurch.net. And now, this week's message. Good morning. My name is Nicole, and I just wanted to share with you guys a little bit of my story and how I came to Grace Point. Um, So... Matt and Brooke Gray are my friends, and I met them in in a recovery program, and they invited me to Grace Point, and um, a little bit of my past, you know, I grew up Jehovah's Witness, and my dad was Catholic, and so I've been to a lot of different churches, never really found a place where I felt like I fit in, and so I came here and ended up getting baptized here. And I love it. I love this place. It makes me feel comfortable. Um, And so I'm going to read a little bit of the scripture today. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at at table with him, with them. (laughs) And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, those who are, are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repent. That's the word of God. Awesome. Thank you. Y'all can be seated. Thank you, Nicole. Sharing your story and how God reached into your life and where you were, just right where you were, and called you to his, be his, his child. And I want to also point out uh, awesome people in Matt and Brooke and just how they're, and they had, by the way, they had no clue uh, that I was going to stand up here and call them out, but I want to say kudos to Matt and Brooke for living scent in their circle. That is incredible, important for all of us to see that. And the funny thing is, Matt and Brooke got to Grace Point by accident. Accident. What happened is they've only been here about a year, moved here from California. I don't know how long exactly it was, but it was about a year ago. And they came to Grace Point by accident because they were going to another church and they landed here and they've never gone anywhere else. And so welcome uh, again to Matt and Brooke. But it's not only them, uh, with their friends, because here's the thing, friends don't let friends live without Jesus. All right? Friends don't let friends live without Jesus. And so they have a friend in Nicole, but even that, uh, Brooke grew up, or mother, Janet, who's also in the room today, uh, she grew up in the, or uh, was living in the Latter-day Saint church or religion, and at the point of time and them coming here, inviting Janet to come to Grace Point, Janet too has received Christ and is walking with Jesus, has been baptized. And so would you give Janet a round of applause? So again, God's doing some work in some people's lives, but it happens because friends don't let friends live without Jesus. We go to our friends, we go to our family, we make an impact. We're talking about in this series, a life that makes an impact, a life that will count I want my life to count. 
I know, I believe, I'm, I'm, I'm presupposing upon you that you want your life to count. You want to make an impact. You want to leave a thumbprint. You want to have a legacy, not only for this generation, but generations to come. And God does this great work in us. He does it, first of all, internally inside of our own hearts. As we become children of God, we become a disciple of his. We're living out this this walk with Jesus, uh, this journey with Jesus. But it's not just that our life counts ourselves inside internally, but God does externally as we take that beautiful message in relationship with Jesus, as we take that calling to be a disciple and understand its full breadth and depth, that we are not only as a disciple, we are called to make disciples. That we actually go out and go beyond and go to our friends and go to our family. Now, if you were here last week and you might take your card out, we had a card that we asked you to identify Three people. God lays on your heart and identify three people that you could identify and say, these are three people that I know that are far from God. Now, you're keeping this card. This is purely for you as a spiritual exercise. If you, didn't, if you weren't here last week or you didn't grab one or whatever, then this is a time for you to be thinking about that person or persons. I came in here last week and I had one person on my list. One person on my list. I had other people in my mind, but it's like, God, who do you want me to zero my time and attention and prayer in on? So I started praying. Now, we've not even had a conversation with any of my three here, okay? You, you might not have had gospel conversations or Jesus conversations with any of yours. That's okay. We're not talking about that right now. We're talking about on the front end, identifying them in such a way that we will intentionally set up time, set up focus of time of prayer for them. We start with prayer and we, we, prayer is the, uh, is a part of that greater work of God, that spiritual work of God. And now in that, how do you pray? How do you pray for a neighbor? How do you pray for a family member? How do you pray for uh, your children who may be far from God? How do you pray? Can you answer that in your own heart and mind? I want to give you two, at least two points of prayer that you and I can pray for the people that are on our card, the people that are in our life that might be far from God. One is pray that their eyes would be open. I know that sounds so simple, sounds so rudimentary, but it is. Pray that their eyes would be open. Because the Bible says that Satan has blinded the eyes and hardened the hearts of so many people, lest they see their eyes and understand with their heart and turn. See, God's up to something. He's up to revealing. He's up to giving truth. He's up to shining the light into our lives. He's the light, okay? So he's shining the light into our life. But in that, Satan is doing everything he can in his power to shield us, to blind us, to harden our hearts so that we say, I don't need God. I really don't see God. I don't see the value of God. I don't see the value of Jesus specifically. I don't see that. I don't see that. And all along, we need to pray that their eyes would be open. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 18 says this, The eyes of your hearts enlightened. The eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may... By the way, this is a prayer. Paul is literally praying this. That the eyes of your heart would be enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. And what are the riches of his glorious, of his glorious inheritance. Now just set on that for a moment. I'm supposed to pray for my friends, on my card, 
in my life, I'm supposed to pray for my family members that their eyes would be opened so that what they would see would be the hope of Jesus. The hope of Jesus. And we are longing for hope in our world, right? Well, where do we find that hope? We're, we, we, we need a depth, a riches of, that is deeper than money, that's deeper than time, that is an inheritance from the God of the universe. And Satan is trying to blind our friends, our family members' eyes to that very truth. And my friends, there is salvation, as, Paul, as it says in the book of Acts, there is salvation in no other than Jesus Christ. For there's no other name under, uh, under heaven given among men that, by which men must be saved. And so here it is that I need to pray for my friends, my family members, if I'm going to live a life of impact, a life that counts, I need to pray that their eyes would be open. But number two, I need to pray that they see Jesus in me. That they see, they sense, they hear Jesus in me. That I look, listen, lead, and love a bit more like Jesus every day. That when I am in this world and I am in their circles and I'm on their teams and I'm at their sports and I'm at their gym and I'm doing my things wherever I live, work, learn, and play with my friends that they will see Jesus They will sense him and that they will hear literally in my words, my actions and reactions, that they will hear Jesus. Adrian Rogers was a mentor that I looked up to so much growing up uh, in the early part of my ministry. He said this, the greatest argument for Christianity and the greatest argument against Christianity is the life of a Christian. I want to be an argument for it. How do I do that? Well, as Jesus said to his disciples, let your light shine. Let your light shine in this world. Let the world see the light of Christ in you. The light of Christ? How do I get that light of Christ? It's it's like the moon reflecting the sun. The sun, the the moon has no light of its own. It, It only reflects what the sun puts on it. Listen, I am a reflection of Jesus. I pray that my friends see Jesus, experience Jesus, Fall in love with Jesus because of my life. Let your light shine before men, others, that they may see your good works. Glorify the Father who is in heaven. My talk talks. My walk walks. But my talk talks louder than my... Talk talks. That's right. That's such a tongue cruiser. I even messed it up in the first service and I practiced it 17 times this week. Nobody likes to watch a video when the video is doing one thing and the audio is doing another. I mean, I'll turn that video off as fast as I can. Well, listen, when our life and our words do not match our life, then you're turn off. I'm not shining the light of Christ in this world. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your card, even if you don't have any names on it right now. I want you to take your card and I want you to put it in your hand. Because when we're not... Just going to talk about prayer, I want us to pray. I want us to pray for our friends, for our family, for those that God has put in our life. And I want you to get one or two names right now in your heart and your soul. And let's join together in prayer. Father, Father, thank you. Thank you for sending your son. And we just sang about a suffering Son of God, who came, he lived, he loved, he died, he rose again so that we might have life. 
so that we might have light, so that we could shine that light, so that others would see that light in us and then in turn glorify you, worship you, follow you. And Lord, I'm not making Matt and Brooke a saint, but Father, I am saying that God, thank you for our people who understand the power and the beauty of a relationship with Jesus and that will live sent. And so, Father, right now, I want to pray for the people on our cards, the people on our hearts. I want to pray that, Lord, that you would open their eyes. Open their eyes. Help them to see hope is in you. Help them to see the riches of life and fullness of life is in you. And Father, help them to to not be blinded any longer to that. And Father, use my life. Use my life. Use my words. Use my actions. Use my reactions to be a light of Jesus. That they will sense, they will see, and they will hear you in me. Father, we commit our friends, our family members to you right now. And all God's people said, amen. Man, I hope that you'll set a timer on your phone. I have time set on my phone at 1040 every day. And I have two things I focus on. I pray for an unreached people group in this world at 1040. And then I pray for my friends on my card at 1040 every day. Take your Bibles and let's look at Luke chapter 5. This is a part of the message, I promise you. It is a part of it because we are building up here. We are one step leads to the next step. After you identify, after you pray, after you've really sought God on behalf of your friends and family, what then? What then? It's a beautiful work of God that God wants to do in and through. And we saw it last week when, when, when Jesus literally is walking through the crowded streets of Jericho and all the people are around him and he sees Zacchaeus. A wee little man and a wee little man was he who climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. Can I get an amen to that? Do y'all remember that as a kid? But Jesus sees him. Jesus calls him down. Jesus goes to his house. I mean, it's a crazy thing. That's at Luke 19. Now we're going back to Luke 5. I want you going to see something. A pattern and a trend in Jesus. He did it in Luke 19, but it's not just one off. He does it in Luke 5. He does it throughout the scriptures. He's going to do what this, what we're talking about here today. And here's the thing, a life principle that is so powerful whenever you look at Zacchaeus, because Zacchaeus was such the evil one. He was an extorter. He was a, an abuser. He was a thief. Literally, the Talmud calls the tax collectors thieves, robbers. He could have indicted Zac, but he didn't. He invited Zach, invited him into a circle, invited him into a conversation, invited him in. And here's a life principle for you. Jesus didn't let a man's past stand in the way of his future. God's about making life new. He's not just turning over leaves. He's about making life new. Jesus said, I came to seek and to save. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That Son of Man phrase is a very important phrase. It's a messianic phrase 
that refers to Jesus being uh, of heavenly origin, but of earthly mission. It's used 82 times in the New Testament. 82 times is no small amount. It's a title given to Jesus. Okay, now with that though, there's this one little word that's added onto a phrase that's mentioned three other occasions in Scripture. We're looking at all three of them in this series. The Son of Man came. That one word, egomai. Egomai means the idea of something here that is a continuous action because it's written in the indicative mood that mainly means that it didn't just happen once. It didn't just happen in the past. It didn't, it's not a futuristic thing. It is happening. It's happening today. It's happening tomorrow. It's happening in Luke 5. And it's all the way happening in Luke 19. It's simply the way Jesus did his life. If I'm going to live the Jesus life, I'm going to do it the way Jesus does it. And he, first of all, we, we noticed last week that he identifies because he comes to seek, he identifies, seek, and to save the lost. He sought, he sought Zacchaeus out in a tree. Zacchaeus just wanted to see who Jesus was, who the influencer was, what the big deal was about Jesus. Jesus sought him as a person. Our people need to be seen. They need to be seen. They need to be known. David Platt talks about the practice that he does every year, every January. He asks himself five questions. He builds his new year on five questions. Question number three, I'm not going to give you the other ones today. Question number three is, how will I share God's love as a witness in the world? So in the coming year, how will I share God's love as a witness in the world? And what he does is he'll write down three to five names that he is going to zero in on in that next year to do all he can to pray and to reach and to seek that their salvation come to Christ. We're doing that here right now at the end of the year. That you would find and identify three names. Number two, we're going to talk about inviting. Because that's what Jesus does. It's how he came. He came eating and drinking. And they look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Now, we're going to unpack this a little bit, but this is a weird kind of a phrase. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. That is a part of the strategic move of Jesus, that eating and drinking part. And what happens before and what happens during and what happens after is all what we see here in Luke chapter 5. When you see this, you see Jesus seeing, again, another man. This time it's Levi, not Zach. He sees him. He goes to him. He, he, he initiates a conversation with him. And I want us to look at this passage and I want us to see three quality invitations that we all need. That your friends need, that friends are on your card they need, that you need if you're in this room today and you're a little bit confused. There are three qualities of an invitation that Jesus gives to his disciples. One is it's a clear quality. It's a clear invitation. He just said, follow me. Follow me. The idea, the concept of following Jesus. Jesus didn't ask him to get their act together. He didn't ask him to clean their life up. He didn't ask them to do 17 Hail Marys and then uh, throw some alms in the plate. He didn't ask him to get the self together. He just said, follow me. That's exactly what we hear today. Jesus accepts us as we are. 
but he also loves us enough not to leave us there. Right where you are, mess and all, trash and all, addictions and all, habits and all, brokenness and all, shame and all, he accepts it. He accepts you, excuse me, he accepts you, and he starts setting us free as we follow in his steps. And it says in verse 27, it says, and this, and, and this he, Jesus, went out. Listen, notice the going. You can't stay in and go out, okay? The Great Commission is going. You must go out. He goes out and he sees exactly what he did with Zacchaeus in the tree. He sees, he, what does he see? He's a tax collector. Zach was the chief tax collector. Matthew's an underling of him. Named Levi, sitting in the tax booth. So literally, he's on the job. He's collecting money. He's raising up tariffs against the people. And he said to him, Jesus sees him. Jesus speaks to him. Exactly what he did in Luke 19. He does it here in Luke chapter 5. And again, you've got to understand, the invitation is very clear. We didn't see what he said to Zach in Zach's home, but we're seeing what he says to Levi as he's on the job. Follow me. It's very clear, right? Not complex. Not a bunch of lists of do's and don'ts. Again, I have a quote from Platt. He said this, Jesus is not calling these disciples because of who they are, but in spite of who they are. Listen, when you look at this, you'll find that Jesus uses this same invitation again and again and again throughout the Gospels, 21 different times. This is the invitation he gives. He gives this same invitation to Matthew, excuse me, he gives the same invitation to Matthew, yes, who's Levi, here, to Peter and Andrew and James and John. This is the invitation. The invitation is to follow him. Clarifying question. Anytime you get an invitation in the mail, one comes in the mail, you got a question. What's this ask of me? What's being asked of me? Lori and I got an invitation to a pastor summit this coming week. We got it about two weeks ago. And literally, the first thing in my brain was, what's it going to cost? Where's it at? Who's going to be there? What do I need? How do I need to dress? I literally just mentally started asking about five or six different questions. Because whenever you're giving an invitation, you start asking that kind of question. Well, Jesus says, follow me. What does it mean? What does it mean to follow you? What's it going to cost me? What's involved with following you? It's a very legitimate question. Leonard Sweet talks about this in his book, I Am a Follower. He says it's not the idea of getting in lockstep with Jesus and he's this commander and I'm like a robot following behind him, coming after him, but it's actually a sojourner, a person along, walking beside him on a journey. Jesus invites us into a relationship to walk beside him, to walk with him, but it's going to cost. We got to realize that I didn't choose Jesus, Jesus chose me. He says that in John 15, verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. He's calling us to follow him. But what that means is that if anyone is going to come after him, we must be willing to deny ourselves, take up our cross daily, and follow him. This is not easy. I'm not saying being a disciple is easy. Accepting that calling and invitation is easy. In fact, Paul said, I got to die daily. I have to die every single day that I live. Luke 14, you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. Whoa, wait, time out. I don't want to follow that. That sounds like, like, like a drudgery. No, he's setting us free from anything else that can tie us down and hold us back. Listen, 
If you're not leading, if you are leading, you're not following. And if you're following, you're not leading. Is Jesus calling the shots in your life? How did, how did Matthew, how did Levi, because he'll be called Matthew in the next chapter. He's Levi right now. How did Levi respond to this? He literally left everything. Verse 28, and leaving everything, he rose and followed him. It's kind of big. Because you know what? Peter, James, and John, when they got that same invitation, they dropped their nets and they followed Jesus. It says immediately. But many scholars believe that what Matthew did was a far more costly sacrifice. Because if Jesus' movement doesn't work out, guess what? These guys can go pick up their nets. They've got a trade. They can go back to fishing. They've got family business there. They can, they can be employed in a heartbeat again. Matthew, he's going to be leaving a position that was prized, that was wealthy. He'll be replaced in a heartbeat, and Rome will blackball him. He has nothing to go back to. So when he follows Jesus, he puts everything on the table to follow Jesus. The invitation that we have today is to follow him. It's clear. But it's also a barrier breaker. The invitation, the call of Jesus is a barrier breaker. He breaks down walls. He doesn't build walls. Jesus has this incredible knack about him. Look at verse 29. He says, and Levi made a great feast in his house. This is his response. He becomes a follower. He turns around and immediately Levi lives sent. Because what he does is he invites all of his tax collector friends to join him for a feast that Jesus is going to be at. You talk about, you don't have to get mature. You don't have to be a Christian for so many years. You just follow Jesus and boom, you are ready to live sent and bring people to Jesus. Here's a clarifying question then. Again, you get the invitation. I want to know what it's going to cost. I want to know who else is going to be there. Who else is welcomed here? And Jesus makes it clear that his invitation, everyone is welcome. Everyone is welcome. The worst are welcome. The worst. This is the way the New Living Translation puts verse 30. He says, why do you eat with and drink with such scum. <laughs> that's pretty harsh words, right? But that's how the Pharisees were looking at these tax collectors. So Jesus would eat with, and I'm putting quotations around the worst because they're not necessarily the worst. That's just how society branded them, the worst. But he also ate with the best. There was a time that a Pharisee asked him to eat with him. And what does Jesus do? No, 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 you're too good. I can't do that. No, he leans in. And he sits down and he has a meal with him. I want you to see something. There's going to be a trend in Jesus' life. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. That is not just a point of reference. That's no small thing. He literally is living out the strategy of breaking down walls to have conversations and to be with people. Jesus does this throughout the gospel, especially the gospel of Luke. You find Jesus in chapter 5 with the tax collectors. You find Jesus with Simon the Pharisee eating again. You find Jesus feeding uh, 5,000 people in Luke 9. I'm not going to read them all. But you can see a pattern and a trend here. That Jesus sat and he ate 
and he talked about food. It, listen, there's maybe not a lot of things I'm Christ-like, but there's one thing I am Christ-like. I like to eat, and I like to be thinking about food. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing. He's eating, and he's talking, and he's setting down the strategy. Behind this is captured in a famous essay by uh, British anthropologist Mary Douglas calls this the boundary markers, calls food timed together at the table boundary markers, that we literally separate societies and segments of society based on food. Think about the civil rights movement. The whites ate here, the blacks ate there. Separation, a boundary marker. You can't eat in here. There are places in, in northwest Arkansas I can't afford to go eat at, all right? I just can't go there. It's too expensive for me. So even sociologically today, socioeconomically today, there are boundary markers. But what does Jesus do? He brings the boundaries down. And it doesn't matter if you're the good guy or you're the bad guy. Jesus will pull up to the table and he will sit down and eat. And he calls us as his followers to go out and divide people and to do the same thing. Luke 14, he says, go out into the highways and the hedges and compel the people to come in that my house may be filled. Thank you, again, Matt and Brooke, for going out into the highways and hedges and bring people in. For I tell you, none of those men, there were people who were refusing to have the meal with Jesus, none of those men who were invited shall taste of my banquet. Even then, Jesus is referring to a banquet feast together. Listen, I don't know if you know this, but it's 39 days till Thanksgiving. Amen? I love it. My favorite meals of the year. All right? 39 days. Here's a challenge for you. Maybe it's one of these. Find somebody far from God, a different religion, a different faith, no faith at all. Invite them to your table. It's a boundary breaker. We sit down together, we share a meal together, we eat and drink together. I can only imagine when Jesus sits down and he's eating and he's drinking with tax collectors and sinners. Is he getting the wine and is he pouring it? Is he breaking the bread and passing it? Because he's breaking down the barriers. You have an invite card. Step number two this week, be thinking about a time you could have coffee. Have a meal. Invite somebody into your home. Take someone to lunch. Whenever I went to Greece for the very first time, as we know, we were working with refugees that are coming from Syria, from Iran, from Iraq, just from all over the Middle East. And it was just dumping into Athens and we were going there. And I can remember the first time I sat down with Fotis Romeos the pastor of New Life Church, who's become a dear friend of mine over the years, sitting down with him and he said, Mike, because I said, man, we, we, our church is ready. We'll, we'll feed, we'll clothe, we'll do whatever. What can we do with the refugees? How can we feed them, take care of them? He said, Mike, we don't feed refugees. To be honest with you, I, he paused. I was kind of caught off by that. We don't, we don't feed the refugees. We eat with them. Oh, that changes the dynamics. Me serving you puts me in a superior position versus if I'm going to sit down and eat the same thing you're eating. I've eaten, listen, since that encounter with Photos Romeos, 
I've had more meals with Muslims and former Muslims than I ever had in the previous years of my life because we eat with them. Jesus ate with tax collectors and sinners. So what does he do? He gives a very clear invitation. Follow me. Follow behind that. How's he going to do that? He's going to break down the barriers. He's going to break down anything that's separating us from one another. Setting down to a meal is one of the best ways you do that. Why does he do this? He does it so that there can be a restorative relationship. Restoration is what happens in this invitation of Jesus. Restoring us. He said, I didn't come for the righteous. I didn't come for those that were healthy. I came for the sick. And that they might come to repentance. A clarifying question is, how does Jesus restore? What does this restoration mean and look like? Because notice he, did, he didn't come for the guilty. Jesus didn't say that. He didn't come for the, 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 the dead, even though we're dead in our trespasses and sin. He said he came for the sick. And when he's a physician for the sick, that means there's hope for tomorrow. That means he's going to actually put the right medicine with them. He's going to love on them. He's going to show compassion to them. He's going to bring them back to life again. And this happens through a rebirth. A rebirth experience. As I enter into this restored relationship with God, what was once fractured, broken, separated, distant, is now restored because the great physician came for the sick and I'm sick. You know John 3.16? Raise your hand if you know John 3.16. All right, I didn't want to have to quote it. Most of you all know it. John 3.16, but you know John 3.17? You're in Luke Let's go to John 3.17. Turn right. Go over to chapter 3. I like to hear pages turning. Or fingers scrolling. <laughs> we know John 3.16. We've got it memorized. One of the first verses that everyone memorizes. We just studied it in our Bible study methods class. But John 3.17 cannot be overlooked. It's this beautiful declaration it says, for, the son of, uh, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. What a beautiful statement. Jesus didn't come to throw rocks at you, tell you how bad you are. He came to invite you into a relationship with him. He's going to change you. He's going to work on you. He's going to clean you up. He's, that's his job. But here's what he's going to do. He didn't come to throw rocks at you, to shame you. He didn't come to condemn you. But here's the, you know, verse 17 now, but don't miss verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him is condemned already. Why? Because he's not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So this is so critical. I don't come, I don't get around Jesus and feel all guilty and all that kind of stuff and therefore getting stones thrown at me. No, no, no. I'm guilty already. What Jesus comes to restore, to give new life, to give birth, to restore me to a right relationship with him, to lift the guilt and the shame and the remorse, to lift me out of that despair. He comes to restore my relationship with him. The invitation of Jesus is to follow him. 
break down the barriers and to be restored into a relationship with him. Since the beginning of Grace Point, before we ever met in the very first meeting, we had a vision statement. This is what we want to be. We want to be this kind of church. We want to be an authentic church for those who have given up on the church but haven't given up on God. A lot of people have left the church, walked away from the church, felt condemned by the church. We, don't want to, we want to be the church that will welcome them back, help them in the process of coming to a faith relationship that God will change their life forever. And one of the books that I read, I picked it up in a guest house in Lusaka, Zambia, was by Philip Yancey. What's so amazing about grace? And I can remember, the grace of Grace Point is largely contributed to the grace in that book that is described in that book. And so you open up the first pages and you'll read a story of a lady who was a Chicago, and lived in Chicago and she was a prostitute. Somebody comes up to her and asks her, have you ever thought about going to church? <laughs> and her response is pretty indicting. She said, why would I ever go there? I was already feeling terrible about myself. They would make me feel worse. Listen, my friends, that's not the Jesus way. Chapter 15, verse 1 and 2, even a prostitute was loved and shared a meal with Jesus. The reality is that the barriers come down the relationship is formed, yes, around a meal, around a coffee, around a, a safe conversation so that a new life can emerge. Would you bow your heads with me? We prayed a few moments ago for our friends, family members far from God. I want you to turn the spotlight on yourself for a moment. How are you? Have you answered that same invitation to follow Jesus? I'm not saying it's going to be easy. It's going to cost you all of your life for all of your life. But it's worth it to receive and to see the hope and the riches of his inheritance provided for us, listen, it will cost you everything, but it will give you more than you deserve. Will you follow him? Will you enter into relationships with people so that you can break down barriers and have gospel-safe conversations with them? Are you in a restored and reborn relationship with Jesus? If you're not right here, right now, Say something like this to Jesus. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I need new life. Jesus, I want your life. I want your hope. I want your inheritance. I want you, Jesus. I want to follow you. And Jesus, I trust that you lived and you died and you rose again so that I could be in a relationship with you. And I'm trusting you. Just say those words to Jesus. I can't emphasize enough that if we've not believed, we are 
According to John 3, 18, we are living in a condemned state. Get out from that condemnation. Get out from that shame and guilt. Get out from that by believing and trusting and aligning your life to Jesus. If you do that today, do not leave this place without coming and seeing me or Lori or somebody that we can celebrate and talk about what next steps look like. Father, you know our hearts. You know every one of us. It's a level of brokenness and sin and sickness even. You did not come for the, the well. You came for the sick. Lord, would you heal our land? Would you heal our church? Would you heal our families? Would you heal our marriages? Would you heal our lives? Jesus, heal us. Restore us. Thanks for listening to the Grace Point Church Podcast. To stay up to date on all things GPC, follow us at Grace Point NWA on Facebook or Instagram. As you go, be people who show and share Jesus in everyday conversations with everyday people. Live Scent.